Welcome to an Agency Story Podcast, where we share real stories of marketing agency owners from around the world. From the excitement of starting up, the first big sale, passion, doubt, fear, freedom, and the emotional roller coaster of growth. Hear it all on an Agency Story Podcast. An Agency Story Podcast is hosted by Russell Dupree, successful agency owner with an eight-figure exit turned business coach. Enjoy the next Agency Story. Welcome to an Agency Story Podcast. I'm your host, Russell. In this episode, we have Flynn Zager, the owner of Online Optimism, a digital marketing and design agency based out of Washington, D.C. Flynn believes that one has to be just a little bit crazy to start their own business. Over the years, he has taken the challenge head on by focusing on building a great team and culture. This episode tells the story of Flynn's entrepreneurial journey, highlighting the significance of careful consideration, the power of networking referrals, the value of a great team and the challenges of transparency and the need to adapt in a hybrid work environment. Enjoy the story. Welcome to the show today, everyone. I have Flynn Zager with Online Optimism here today. Thank you so much for being here today, Flynn. For having me, Russell. Excited to talk with you. We'll get us started with a quick overview. What does Online Optimism do and who do you do it for? We're a leading creative digital agency. We have about 16 people, offices in Washington, D.C. and New Orleans. We help businesses, small, medium-sized, with everything they do online. Website design, social media, SEO, content, whatever new website comes out in the next six months, we're going to help businesses advertise themselves on it a little bit better. You sound like you may have said that a time or two. You have that down. Perfect. That was actually probably 28 seconds. You can check it, but I'm pretty sure I have that down. Nice. Practiced. Appreciate that. Let's go back in time for a little bit. Do you think the younger version of yourself would be surprised at where you're at today? Or do you think entrepreneurship was always on the horizon? I think they would be surprised. I always get asked, what would you tell your younger self? The the thing I'd say is, you should probably think about this at some point. (laughs) Don't just dive in. My parents are entrepreneurs. They run their own business, which I think is why I thought this was possible. I should have remembered the stress it caused them. Maybe (laughs) that would have been helpful at the beginning. But I think that's one of the things about entrepreneurs is if you sit down and logically look at starting your own business, it's an absurd concept. There's so many better ways to make so much more money and you'll be much happier. But if you ignore all that, I think it's a exciting and fun journey. I I wouldn't trade it for anything else 11 years in, but I I think I'd be shocked at what you have to do if you had told 20 two-year-old Flynn, what running a business was like. <laughs> I don't want to read between the lines, but it sounds like maybe what you're saying is entrepreneurs are a little crazy. It's a little crazy. It's yeah. just a tad. Often too, when we talk about, you know, what would we say to our younger selves? One of the common answers too is, I don't think my younger self would listen anyway. So it doesn't matter what I'd say. <laughs> or we have to think in that whole teenager mentality, if I want them to do one thing, I have to tell them the opposite, or we have to use a lot of reverse psychology in, in this household. Teenage um, me would definitely have been fired by adult me at this point. <laughs> All right. That's what I always say is you could just take this podcast back to the younger version of yourself. (laughs) And that's how we'll get to the spot we want to get. Very fascinating. Similar to my own journey, it seems like you didn't have a very long career before you started your agency. What drove you into being an entrepreneur actually so quickly? I didn't love my job. It's a a pretty good way to motivate yourself to get a new job. I got work essentially doing online sales for a safety video company, which was a brilliant idea. But I was a one-person team and I, I craved working with other people on marketing. I say, 
now in a hybrid work environment where I'm the only person in the office. But I was looking for that after six months, I had essentially tripled the company's online sales that I worked for. And basically, I don't want to say blackmail them, but I was like, hey, triple your sales in six months and I'm quitting. You could either try to replace me or hire me as a consultant to do what I was doing. That was the trip to early success is making sure you have one or two clients under your belt because you're going to spend the first six months to a year uh, making a lot of mistakes. And it's good to have that revenue coming in as you learn from your mistakes. Did they in fact hire you? They stayed on for probably about a year and a half. I survived. They had a little bit of turnover. I survived three or four stakeholders. Fourth one, finally, just they they didn't quite have the relationship with the connection. Sometimes you get a new stakeholder and they clean house. We even see that now, 11 years in. That was when I lost it, but I wish them all well. Even in my business partner, he was at an agency and he basically was one of the first clients when we started the agency was his former employer. I've talked to a number of agencies now where that was one of their first jumping off points of their client was working for contract or consulting for their previous role or employer. Very fascinating concept when you sit down and think about it. Speaking of getting clients, how did you get your clients in the early days and and how does that differ from where you're at today? It's a crazy idea, but our first couple of years, pretty much all of our leads came from meeting people in person. I say as a guy who runs a digital marketing agency, to this day, we still do a lot of that. It's the best way to build on trust. It was exactly what you said, where you talk to friends, family, previous jobs, and you try to work for pennies. To be frank, even in the early days, if we had a job that was small, we would ask for a referral and a testimonial instead of payment, because we knew that small amount of trust is going to be what we need to sell bigger clients. $100 could actually get me pretty far in New Orleans when I started. My rent was $375 a month. So I didn't need much to cover rent. I still would rather have the, the testimonial or word of mouth. And that was real nice at the start. As we grew up and got older and the, the website matured, we get most of our leads now through SEO, inbound marketing, but we still do in-person events. It's one of the reasons we still have 4,000 square feet in New Orleans. My team down there hosted an event last night. We brought in 40 people from all around town just to talk about marketing, not salesy. And, and that's always been my biggest recommendation if you're looking to get leads is genuinely try to help people. Big believer in karma. You're not going to get anything by going to networking and trying to sell. You're going to get a lot more relationships and trust from going out and trying to help people solve their problems. If it just so happens to need your services to be paid in order to solve the problems, great. But the number one goal we always tell our staff before they go to networking is see how you could help someone today. I honestly couldn't agree more. I'd almost ask you to repeat that. I'm a big believer in even in the clients I work with of focus more on being valuable, giving value, and then not worrying so much how you're going to always turn that into dollars because that will work itself out in the end. Great lesson to folks out there. Thank you for sharing that. Again, similar paths or similar passions. One of the things I enjoyed about our conversation was how important your team is to you. Did you start out with that mindset or did that evolve over time? What did that look like? It's evolved over time. I don't want to say that it's evolved because I didn't care about my staff at the beginning. I think it's more that I was bad at it. I think it's incredibly hard to manage people. Probably why I started the internet marketing agency is I was good with computers. This is another thing that I would have told 22-year-old Flynn is you're trying to grow this business, you won't get to talk to computers. You just manage people. It wasn't a skill set at the beginning. We've made some lucky hires that were very talented that wanted to join a a nimble team. And I always have told people like, look, this is an opportunity. We will listen to you. We'll give you a lot of power and opportunity. We try not to have bureaucracy, which I'm sure every bureaucrat says when they're running a company. (laughs) Because it's, yeah, I'm CEO. Everything I want happens quickly with no one stopping me. It's been great. I think the real key has been that uh, I've learned to trust my team a lot because 
they make good decisions, a lot of decisions without me. And they push back on me a lot, which is super beneficial. And one of the things I've learned as CEO is you have to reward people for pushing back because it's gutsy to talk back to the person who covers your paycheck. We learn that from talking to clients all the time. They're paying you to tell them when their idea is bad, but it's still hard to tell someone that signs your checks, hey, <laughs> that's not a good idea. I have a better one. I've learned that sometimes you need to take a deep breath and go, you know what? I think you actually are right. And that's been incredibly valuable. There's been a lot of times in, in our decade of work that I could pinpoint a time that I was wrong and an employee was right. And, and it's why we've been able to grow to where we are today. I even love the, the clarification you made to the question of not that you didn't care. It's just the lessons you had to learn to maximize it. I think that is often, and even in my own case, when I talk to other agencies, it's, again, it's not a lack of caring sometimes when mistakes are made in that arena, but that it's all the pressures of starting a business. How do we keep the lights on? It sometimes leads you down some wrong paths, but a good clarification to the question there. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, because I know you've managed a team for a lot longer. I think one of the things we see is that you run into the same people again. And I'm sure you're that way. It's just such a small industry that you, you've got to be nice because you're going to talk to them in a couple of years. I think that's what we learned. Service-based business, all our costs, our whole product is our team. Too often the business focus is getting customers, but if that's our whole product and service, you have to put just as much attention, effort, and care in the same way we think about customers, right? You don't want a bad review. Yeah. They tell someone that whole thing totally exists on the team. I think that's a good insight you have. Tell me what the online optimism secret is to having a great team. It's listening, which I think is good relationship advice. I try not to bring too much relationship advice into a business, but I genuinely think that listening and, and acting on what you're hearing is super useful. Our biggest pieces of feedback is that we ask for too much feedback, which is fair. And we had to work on making sure that people feel that if they give us feedback, that they're hearing it and that we're hearing it and that we're taking action or at least letting them know we hear this. And this is why we're not taking action. It's crucial that you're asking for feedback pretty much as often as you could take action on it, whether that's like quarterly reviews or surveys or just end of year check-ins or NPS surveys, net promoter scores. You can't take action unless you are getting that feedback, especially if it's negative. It's so terrible to hear negative feedback, but you have to realize that they're going to feel that way whether they told it to you or not. It's better to hear it so that you can fix it because not asking doesn't mean that they're not going to feel that. That's always my biggest advice is listen as much as you can. Gosh, Flynn, I feel like we need two hours for this podcast because you've got so many great nuggets that you can share on that front. Listening, it makes me think of this story. We had a, a client, we didn't end up working with them, but they basically had this huge national organization around. They were trying to branch out to other things, but it was basically relationship counseling. And so we had to go, I was supposed to take my wife to go test this out at one of their seminars <laughs> thing. My wife couldn't go. So I had to take a coworker. We found the whole thing laughable and interesting. Certain parts were like, we're not doing this part, but it was just funny. The whole basis of, if you just take the net nutshell of that whole conversation, it was about listening as the secret to any relationship. You're, you're corroborated by evidence there. On the flip side, what are some of the mistakes or do you have any mistakes that you made that you can share so people don't go down the same path? I, I don't want to necessarily cause a mistake, but this is something we're trying, which has been fascinating. We've been trying lately offering job offers to people with transparent salaries. What we mean by that is on our job page, it says how much you're getting compensated. You get the full benefits package. We don't want to try to negotiate with people. We think that's more fair for these specific positions than getting to the end of a very long interview process and being wildly different understandings of what the compensation is. The reason it's on my, maybe it's a mistake is that it hasn't worked out because we've gotten to the end. And what's been fascinating is we have a paid internship program and I always taught our interns, negotiate, negotiate. It doesn't matter if it's your first job out of college, you should try and negotiate. Now I'm running into them and they're negotiating against what I thought was a very 
your yeah. offer. I think that's been fascinating to see. And I think there's a lot more conversations, particularly as generation alphas and I'll move into the workforce and there's increased requests for transparency, but there's also people who don't want to know that. And I think it's something that everyone should try. It, it hasn't worked out perfectly for us. I'll be the first. That's why when you talk about a mistake, that's the first thing that came to mind. But it's worth thinking about, at least if you've never seriously considered it, what that would mean for the job, what that would mean for everyone on your team who would see a compensation if no one else is aware of what everyone else makes. These are conversations that CEOs and business owners have to be aware are happening because even if you're not posting that compensation, more and more businesses do, especially since it's now the law in New York and I believe Colorado and possibly California soon. There's going to be more transparent salary compensation information in the future, whether you're doing it or not. So it's something yeah. you need to be thinking about. The advent of tools and salary.com, Glassdoor and things like that. It's crowdsourcing the information on the backside, whether or not the company's being forthcoming with it, trying to be more transparent, but people were always interested in, it's almost that ego-driven where I'm different. <laughs> I know there's this thing here of transparency and standards, but I'm different. Show me how I'm different. It was one of the things we ended up having to figure out how to solve is same uniqueness, or I don't know what the term is. If you could get yeah. rid of people and egos, you'd have a perfect <laughs> business, but you'd be a one-person shop with no client. Isn't that the truth? Solve the world problem with that, I guess you could say. <laughs> that, that I don't see happening anytime soon. One of the things you, you've mentioned already in the podcast today is the struggle with balancing a hybrid environment. Where do you currently stand? What has and hasn't worked for you down this path? We consider ourselves completely hybrid. What that means is if we have physical offices, we allow people to work entirely remote. We will offer co-working spaces. Essentially, if you're in New Orleans or DC, we have physical offices that you could come in, sit in. We have unlimited snacks, drinks, free lunch on Fridays that we, that we bring in from catering. We could do events in either space. If you are in one of those cities and you live a couple blocks away, you also can never come into the office, which is people think, oh, you offer a hybrid for people not in those cities. No, I have staff who live a mile away from the office who maybe show up once or twice a year. We're fine with that. If that's what helps them work good. If you're in a different city than where we have offices, you could work entirely remote. We're happy to pay for a co-working space. And that gives people the most freedom. That's most helpful for our recruitment. The downside, obviously, is that it is very costly is the, uh, I think, the technical term for it. Uh, <laughs> you're paying for two physical offices. We also pay for any co-working spaces. We also have to make sure our staff has the appropriate equipment to work from home. It is wildly expensive to do all that. At the moment, we're doing it. There's benefits to allowing us to recruit from anyone who wants to work whatever work style there is. I stay more sane when I have a physical office to come into. There's not any cats climbing on my head during this podcast, which is maybe a downside. Probably would have been better if <laughs> moving from home yeah. today. I, I think it's been helpful for recruitment. Everything is great about that sort of philosophy. It is incredibly costly. As a business owner, you have to decide what is the price on that. I've decided it's good enough at the moment, but we're going to see how that changes over the upcoming years. Well, I look forward to seeing how that experiment shakes out. I think one of the things in talking with other agents that are similar is what maybe initially seemed as when you could drop the office or whatever is, oh, that's a whole cost savings I get to not have. But what I think we've seen as this evolves, even if you have a remote work environment, you just have to transfer a lot of that budget into other things, right? Yeah. Whether it be co-working spaces in other locations or helping people set up the right environment set up or or when some people do it to just make sure, hey, we put out enough budget to bring everybody together every now and then. That's not a lost line item, it's just where you apply it. What is your goal with the business long-term and, and what do you see your big challenge to overcome to get there? One of the things that we think about at Online Optimism is our mission and vision. And this is a good example of listening to our staff. When I first came up with a mission vision, it was back probably our third or fourth year. I was told a company needs one. I came in one day, I told them I wrote our mission and vision. I was like, this is it. Then I thought that was going to be an announcement and it turned into a discussion because I was told that I don't know our mission and vision. We had those meetings for weekly for a year before we all agreed on it. Five years went by and our staff changed. And all of a 
awesome. And everyone was like, we don't agree with the mission and vision. And I was like, I can't do this again. <laughs> but it, it's been interesting. Our vision is to be a leading creative digital agency that creates exceptional work and fosters employee growth. It goes on a little more, but I, I've always thought that's been key. It goes back to one of your first questions, which is why did I start this? Is that I didn't love the job I had and I wanted a place I'd be happier. You spend so much time at work that why shouldn't you be happy? Your life shouldn't be work. Work is one of our values. This is just all a job. If we weren't paying our staff, they wouldn't be here. I don't think they would talk to me. And that's fine. This is a job. But that doesn't mean that it can't be a great job. You can't have a great place for people to work. I think if your people are happy and they're motivated, that will lead to better performance. That's not just me thinking. There's obviously been studies that happy, motivated employees do better work. And that's my long-term goal is genuinely be a business that has the best employees because we can hire the best people and we have the best culture. I think if we do that, everything else from revenue to profits, compensation, all of that will work itself out as long as you're keeping your staff happy. That's what I'm trying to do every day. Where do I apply? Um, <laughs> last big question for you, Flynn, and someone that maybe, I don't know, I'm not going to assume the answer here. Are entrepreneurs born or are they made? I feel that they're made. I think you can certainly be born like I was where you have family. I was lucky enough to see people do that. And that certainly gives me a head start. It didn't give me a business. I wasn't handed this. I, I had to, to build. I built it from learning from them and learning from my peers and learning from everyone I met going to all those events early in my 20s. We didn't just get new clients from networking. I, I got a ton of lessons and mentors, but I feel that they are made from those around them. Did you get a lot of help from mom and dad in the early days as far as advice or things like that? Or, or, <laughs> uh, or did you I, intentionally not go to them for advice? We run very different businesses. As a present, a couple of years in, they told me to stop helping them and doing work for their business so I could focus on my own, which was very considerate. They certainly helped me a lot with motivation. They've always been supportive. They've run a store since 1980. So I can only hope to be around for at least 40 years like they have. That is a long time for sure. Indeed. If people want to know more about online optimism, where can they go? You go to onlineoptimism.com. You'll find us. You could also search on any of our social media channels. I don't manage those anymore. So feel free to tweet at us and we'll go to someone else and it'll go back to me. That's how I learned what we're doing on social media. You can also, of course, contact me, Flynn at onlineoptimism.com, F-L-Y-N-N. Whether you're looking for a job or marketing or advice or just want to talk about a weird career advice you give 22-year-olds. Happy to chat with anyone. It sounds like a whole podcast niche you can create. Weird <laughs> job advice for a 22-year-old. Great to hear your story today, Flynn. So many great nuggets, especially as it relates to teams. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Russell. It's been great talking. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of an Agency Story podcast, where we share real stories of marketing agency owners from around the world. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Send an email to podcast at performancefaction.com. An agency story is brought to you by Performance Faction. Performance Faction offers services to help agency owners grow their business to $5 million and more in revenue. To learn more, visit performancefaction.com. Our rug budget on online optimism is one of our more significant office expenses. We have a dog-friendly office in New Orleans. You got to learn to create policies. We said dog-friendly. And then a week later, we were like, dog-friendly and friendly to humans was our policy. And then within two weeks, we were like, dog-friendly to humans must be potty trained. But I think <laughs> the good lesson, you should always think through the consequences of some of your policies. But we have some great marketing staff and we just buy new rugs every six months nowadays. I assume most of the potty train is geared towards the dogs, not the humans. Yeah. 
just never know. And to your point, be clear. We should add that to our HR policies. That's a good, yeah. we don't have that. I wouldn't be able to reprimand anyone. That's a great point. 